Good morning, everyone. I feel like I'm in school. Uh, yeah, so if you don't know me, I'm the youth pastor at Ignite. Um, now, I do apologize for this in advance, but my youth kids will be very upset with me if I don't do this. Uh, we, uh, we talked about God at work in our lives. Yes, Jesse's looking at me very intently. God working in our lives using fingers. And so God is hovering over this place. It's been done. We can move on. This morning, we're going to be, uh, we're going to be talking about prophecies, visions, and dreams and revelations. So really good timing in that Kenny brought a prophetic word this morning after receiving a vision from the Lord. Now, there was nothing unscriptural that I could hear coming from what Kenny said. Um, I think it was exactly in line with the Bible. But where prophecy fits in and is separate from teaching is that prophecy is a revelation from God, a now word from God in a particular context. So that was God's now word for our church. We don't need to go write in a book and circulate it across the world. That was God's word for us here when God inspired someone with the gift of prophecy to share a prophetic word. And so we're going to talk about this because the Bible, especially the New Testament, is riddled with prophecies and visions and dreams. And I know that there's even some people in this place who don't even believe that these things are for today. So I'm going to show you from the scriptures the truth of all this. But before we get there, let's go for a bit of context because my scripture for this morning comes from Acts chapter 2. It's going to be on the screen behind me at some point. Um, So Acts chapter 2. But before we get to Acts chapter 2, we need to take a little step back and see where we are in the story. So the 12 disciples have traveled with Jesus for a period of about three years, hearing his teachings, seeing the miracles and signs which he did. You know, he healed the sick. He opened blind eyes. He cast demons out of those who were mentally possessed by spirits. So Jesus saw heaps of people liberated, and these disciples witnessed these events. But then, of course, Jesus was delivered up to be crucified. And the disciples became disheartened. But then God raised Jesus from the dead because it wasn't possible that he should be held down by the grave because God had put his seal on him. And so God raised Jesus from the dead and then showed him openly to these disciples, these 12 disciples. And um, just before Jesus departed from them, he'd spent 40 days with them after the resurrection, showing and proving that he had truly been raised from the dead. But just after this... Jesus said to them, you need to wait. You need to tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he said um, that the Spirit of God will come upon you and you'll receive power to be my witnesses and to share the good news in different nations. And then it says that Jesus was caught up into the air and the disciples saw him basically float up into the sky and then a cloud received Jesus out of their sight. And as they were staring up into the sky, wondering what would happen next, two men, two angels, appeared to the disciples, clothed in white. And they said, men, why are you staring up into heaven? This Jesus, this same Jesus who went up into the clouds that you're seeing now will come in a like manner as this. And so we know that the next stage of human history is the return of Jesus Christ, who's going to be coming back on the clouds and every eye will see him and every person will have to give an account to him because he is Lord over all. So that's the story of Acts chapter 1. Now the disciples were waiting. They were told to wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. So they waited for a period of about 10 days, presumably in prayer, and they gathered together and were in unity, the scripture says. 
And now the disciples knew that obviously Judas had betrayed Jesus and they believed that one should take his office. So they did what was called casting lots. Now casting lots, um, there was various ways to do it, but basically a modern day equivalent would be to roll the dice. So they had two men that they put forward as believing that one of these two men would be chosen by God to join the 12 and be a witness of his resurrection. And so they rolled or cast the lots and they came up with a man named Matthias. I believe it was Matthias, am I correct? Good. Um, <laughs> you can look it up later in Acts chapter 1. So now we come to Acts chapter 2. It's been 10 days since Jesus has been raised into heaven. Uh, and they're still waiting for this promise from God that would come. And then there's a sound of a mighty um, rushing wind. And it says it appeared like tongues of fire coming upon the apostles who were in this room seated. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all began to speak in tongues. Now, when the Bible speaks of tongues, the word is simply languages. Now, it can be earthly languages, or it can be angelic languages. But in this case, it was earthly languages, because the people who were outside heard them speaking the wonderful works of God. They were proclaiming the mighty deeds of God in languages that they had never previously learned before. And this obviously drew a big crowd, because, I mean... You know, it's a strange event. These are Jews, and how is it now that they speak all these multiple languages and the people outside can understand them in their own native tongues? And so, this is where we are in the story. And some people are, are marveling at the things that they're saying because they're proclaiming the mighty deeds of God, but others are now starting to accuse them and saying, hey, these men are drunk. And Peter stands up and says, these men are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. In other words, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Now, Peter was explaining the phenomenon that was taking place. Hundreds of years ago, previously, a prophet named Joel had written about this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that would come under the new covenant. Now, I want to focus in on the first thing that Peter says. He says, it shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then Peter says, this is being fulfilled in your midst. So Peter believed that he was living in the last days. Now, it's interesting to hear this because, you know, this event took place nearly 2,000 years ago. You know, this is around 30 AD. So how is it that Peter was living in the last days? I mean, I hear Christians talk these days about how they feel that we're living in the last days. And it is true, we are definitely getting closer to the return of Christ. But I don't know if you realize, scripturally speaking, we've been living in the last days or the last age or the last period of human history ever since... Um, Jesus ascended into heaven and sent the promised Holy Spirit. We are living in the last days right now. And so we can find this from Scripture. So a little bit of a Bible lesson for you. If you're confused about a certain terminology or a certain word, to get clarity on a passage of Scripture, you should go back and find other places in the Bible where that same terminology or word is used. And often there'll be clear passages of Scripture that you can use to better interpret the unclear. So in this case, what does Peter mean by last days? Well, we read in other books of the Bible, like Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. So the verse, first verse in the book of Hebrews, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways 
spoke in times past, but to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So you see, the writer to the Hebrews believed that they were also uh, living in the last days. Now, some people believe this was the Apostle Paul writing, but we're not really sure of the authorship of, of Hebrews. But nevertheless, this writer said that in history past, God spoke by the prophets. But now that we are living in the last days, he's spoken to us, his church, through his son, the Lord Jesus. Again, another teacher of God's word in the Bible, James, in his letter to the church, was rebuking some wealthy people who were oppressing the vulnerable. And in James chapter 5, he rebukes them and he says, you have heaped up treasure in the last days. So that was James's rebuke on those who are abusing people, um, the wealthy oppressing the poor. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. And then Peter, in his letter, to, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, it says, scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So you see, we are living in the last days right now, and there's still scoffers today. There's people who mock me at work when I tell them that Jesus is coming again. There's people who mock me when I say that Jesus was a real person, but they obviously haven't studied history, because you can, you can read writings outside of the Bible that verify that there was a man named Jesus who was crucified under Pontius Pilate. You can look up uh, Tacitus, you can look up... Uh, Oh, what's another one off the top of my head? Josephus? Yes, that's correct. Thank you. And there's more than that as well. So we have eyewitnesses who were with him who were believers, and we have eyewitnesses who also spoke about him who were not believers. So yeah, we're living in the last days. And in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is a promise for us as people who are living in the last days, that we too are going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, that He is going to be poured out on all flesh. Every single one of us can be filled with the Spirit of God because of God's promise. Now let's look at how the Holy Spirit operated just briefly under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, prior to Jesus' coming. Now we know there were certain people in the Bible that God chose and raised up and empowered by His Spirit to do mighty deeds. So you might think of in the book of Judges, God raised up various judges like Gideon, who the Spirit of the Lord came upon, on, upon Gideon and he delivered the Israelite people from the enemies um, that were oppressing them. And likewise, Samson. Samson received supernatural strength from the Spirit of God so that he could be used by God to set the Israelites free from their captiv captivity. And um, we also see that God raised up kings, like we read about Saul, who was king over Israel. Samuel, when he met Saul before he had become king of Israel, said to him, when he anointed him with oil as king over Israel, he said to him that the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will be changed into another man and you will prophesy. And that's exactly what happened in the life of Saul. When he departed from Samuel, he was walking away from Samuel, he came across some prophets and he prophesied with them. And, this, and the, the, the saying went out among the people, is Saul now among the prophets? And so the Spirit of God had come upon Saul and he was changed into another man and he was filled with zeal for the Lord and he rescued the people from their enemies, the Philistines. Also, the Spirit of God came upon prophets under the Old Testament. And it wasn't just for physical enemies being delivered from, they were also being delivered from spiritual enemies. So for example, Micah chapter 3 verse 8, 
Micah himself spoke and he said, But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So God had filled the prophet Micah with the Holy Spirit so that he could proclaim to Israel that they had sinned against the Lord. You see, Micah needed boldness in the face of that because, you know, he might have been killed as a prophet speaking out against a nation. But God filled him with his spirit so that he could preach the word of the Lord. There were also times when the prophets were sent to encourage the people of Israel to give instructions to the nation of Israel, to give instructions to the kings so that they could lead the nation of Israel. So we don't need to go into any more depth than that. But what I do want to say is it appears that the Spirit of God came upon individuals rather than the nation as a whole. God raised up certain individuals that he anointed with power to do a mighty deed in their generation. But under our new covenant that we're living in, God has poured out his Spirit on all flesh. That is, every single person who follows the Lord Jesus has been cleansed by his blood, will be filled with the Spirit of God. Your body has become the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's dwelling place is among his people. And that's the amazing thing. You might feel like a nobody. You know, you, you might be unemployed. You might be poor. You might be any of these things that you might consider yourself to be lesser than the person next to you. But I tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if your trust is in him, you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you are just as equally a share in the power of God as I am or any other person is, and you're just as entitled to the gifts of God that come through the Holy Spirit. So now those who heard Peter, after he shared this message about Jesus, you know, Peter, filled with boldness now, proclaimed to them after this passage that, you know, you crucified the Lord of glory, but God raised him up from the dead. And it says that the people hearing that were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what, what men and brethren, what must we do? And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as our Lord God will call. So you see, it's for each one of us. You know, this is really important and really valid even for today. I spoke to a Jehovah's Witness at work um, about two weeks ago. We've got a Jehovah's Witness who comes in as a subcontractor. And on my lunch break, I um, challenged him about what they preached, the gospel they preached. And he said to me that, he, that as a Jehovah's Witness, he doesn't belong to the New Covenant. He said that was only for a select few believers, only in the New Testament. And that he somehow reaps the benefits of it, but he doesn't belong to the New Covenant. And I said to him, I don't think you realize that it's all wrapped up into one. The promise of the new covenant is that God would replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh, that he would write his law on your heart and minds, that, he, that you wouldn't need to tell your neighbor, know the Lord, because each one of us would know him personally as our Lord and Savior. And it says that each one of us would receive a new spirit. The spirit of God would fill our hearts. And also that our sins and our lawless deeds, he would remember no more. So I said, if you've not received the spirit of God, you've not received forgiveness of sins either, because that is the promise of the new covenant, a new heart, a new spirit, forgiveness of sins, total cleansing so that God could dwell with you. And he didn't have an answer for that. He actually invited me along to the local um, kingdom hall, which I'm thinking actually about going to, uh, 
just for conversation's sake. But so if you see me there, I've not changed religions. <laughs> Paul would often meet with the people wherever they wanted a discussion. And so if he wants to discuss it with me there, I'm happy to meet him there to discuss it. Now, I need to ask you a question this morning. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Because that's the question the Apostle Paul asked a bunch of followers of John the Baptist. They were very religious. They believed in repentance of sin. They were even water baptized. But Paul noticed that something was missing from their lives. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we haven't even heard if there is such a Holy Spirit. And then he baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus. And he laid hands on them. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. If you are not certain that your sins have been forgiven, if you're not certain that you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you at the end of the service to come find me. I'll be at the front. Um, if someone else is talking with me, that's okay. They can finish up and then you can come and talk to me. Or talk to one of the leaders here and we'll pray with you and we'll minister to you so that you can know for certain that you have a relationship with God, so that you can know for certain when you die, God will receive you on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross for you. And so that you can be empowered in this life right now to know the power of the Holy Spirit that he's promised to those who believe on him. All right. I'm going to skip a bunch, otherwise we're going to be here all morning. <laughs> we'll have a Eutychus in the room who will fall out of the window and someone will have to raise him from the dead. Um, I'm terrible for my terrible sense of humor. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I have a friend... I caught up, I know that's hard to believe. No, I have a friend I caught up for, with, for a, uh, a coffee. Actually, I'm lying, all right? Christians can drink alcohol too. I caught up with him for a beer. <laughs> um, we had a good beer. We had two good beers. Uh, he had too many two good beers. Um, anyways, in the course of time, I was really excited to share with him because I'd heard a story of um, a Christian I know who had um, healed someone of some ailment. He'd prayed for him. He had the gift of healing and he saw them restored instantly. And uh, my friend began, began to be a bit agitated by that. Now, he believes in the gifts of the Spirit for today, like theologically in his head, but he really struggles with it in practice. And so he was happy to concede that, of course, the apostles worked miracles like that, but he, yeah, he struggles in himself. And so he got really frustrated and he had a little bit of an outburst to me. And he says, listen, I don't know anyone who heals the sick or works miracles. And I replied to him immediately like, yeah, but I hardly know any Christians who even pray or Christians who actually read their Bible. And I was just trying to make a point to him that the Christianity that you're experiencing may not be the Christianity of the New Testament, the fullness of what God has for us. Like Kenny shared, you're alive, but there may be huge elements of death in you still that God wants to deliver you from, that God wants to bring alive. He wants to revive in us. Too often we settle for a lesser form of Christianity than what God has promised us in the scriptures. I know a, f a famous preacher, Zach Poonin, and he said um, one time, I don't know if he actually had received this as a vision, but he said, basically, it may have actually came in as a dream to him. He, he was up in heaven and there was an angel. And this angel said to him, um, well, he was showing him around heaven, basically, and there was a room, and the room had a door on it, and um, he was like, oh, what's in that room? And the angel said, oh, there's, like, files in there. So he opened the door, and there was a box with his name on it. And he went into the room, and 
And the angel said, I don't think you should open that box. And, but he really wanted to see the contents of the box. So he opened the box and inside were all of these wonderful promises from God that were left filed in this box that he had never accessed when he was here on earth. And I don't want to get to heaven knowing that God wanted to give me the gift of prophecy or knowing that God wanted me to heal my sick neighbor and proclaim Christ to him only to find out that it was my unbelief and my unwillingness to seek God for more that, that kept me from working in these things and seeing the fruit of God in my life. So my question to us this morning is, when was the last time you waited on God in prayer? Like really waited on God in prayer? When was the last time you sought him for the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Um, you know, the, the, the apostles were willing to wait 10 days with nothing, seemingly nothing from God before the Spirit of God came. You see, we all want the blessings of Christ, but some of us have, uh, our food habits have made their way into our Christianity. You know, we want, we, want a, we want a hot meal, but we can't be bothered to cook it. We want to just stick it in the microwave for 90 seconds and voila, done. Fast food, ready to go. And we treat our Christianity like that. We want a 90 second prayer for someone's healing, and then we want to say amen and walk away. But what if God wants you to wait in prayer? What if God wants you to really get low before him and humble yourself and cry out to him until you receive the blessing from God? You see, Jacob, when he wrestled with the angel in the Old Testament, he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. He wrestled all night, even with a limp leg. And we need to be like that this morning. We will not let you go, God, until you bless us, until you pour out your spirit again with fresh power. All right. So Peter was living in the last days. And in this scripture, the same scripture we'll leave on behind me, uh, it says in the last days that God's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And he says that we will see dreams and visions and prophesy. And this isn't just for the men, this is for the women, as it says. This is not just for the old men, this is also for the young men. This is for every single believer on the Lord Jesus. If you're a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old and you've put your trust in Jesus, you too can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. The promise is to every person following the Lord Jesus. Now, some of you who don't believe this is for today and are probably hating my sermon so far, I'm going to address you because... Um, I know what verse you're thinking of. You're thinking to yourself, but isn't there a verse that talks about prophecies ceasing? Isn't there a verse that says that tongues will be no more? And there certainly is. So let's turn to it. So if we can have that on the slide behind me. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. It's, uh, th this chapter of Corinthians is the famous chapter with the love passage that everyone quotes at their weddings. You know, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy. But, but from the context, what Paul was actually saying is love is the thing which will endure on into eternity. You know, the Corinthians were very obsessive about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but Paul wanted to remind them that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not going to be necessary when you're standing before the Lord Jesus face to face. I don't have time to go through this whole thing, um, but it says, when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away with. And the, the thing that's in part they're saying is prophecies, tongues, knowledge. And then Paul uses this language, he says, For we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. 
So what is this perfect that's coming? I want to tell you it's, we can find out this from uh, reading 1 John. Uh, 1 John, oh dear, I've deleted it from my notes. I'm going to have to try this by memory. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it is not yet apparent what we shall be, but we know when he appears that we shall be transformed into his likeness. We will be like him, um, for we shall see him as he is. And so again, using scripture to interpret scripture, we see that we're seeing in a mirror dimly now, but then when the Lord Jesus appears, appears from heaven, we're going to be transformed into his likeness. It'll no longer be seeing dimly through a mirror, but a mirror, but it'll be full clarity, a full unity with the Lord, being delivered from our body of sin. Uh, Paul uses this similar language too in uh, 2 Corinthians. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So I won't go into it any further, but basically the Apostle Peter says that we're living in the last days. It's the Apostle Peter you've got to contend with. We're living in the last days. In the last days, God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh in the church. They will prophesy, they will dream dreams, and they will see visions. And this is going to continue right up until the day that the Lord Jesus returns from heaven. Um, there is, yeah, there is another verse in in. You can look it up in your own time. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, again, says the same thing. You've been enriched in every spiritual gift until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so then again, again it, the, if you read the book as a whole, it carries this picture that Paul is keeping eternity in mind. He's keeping the return of Christ in mind, which is why he still spends nearly two chapters talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because... It's very, very active and present for us who are living in the last days. Now, if we believe that prophecy is for today, we've got to ask ourselves the questions, what is prophecy? Now, as we saw from Kenny, and as I explained before, prophecy is a revelation from God. It's a now word from God. First uh, Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, it says, He who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. And in verse 5, it says, He who prophesies edifies the church. That is, they build up the church. They strengthen the brethren. And who was strengthened this morning when they heard Kenny encourage us by the Spirit of the Lord to go seek God with all of our heart, mind, and strength? So he provided comfort. He provided edification to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24, speaks of another um, form of prophecy. It says that if, if everyone is prophesying in the church and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, and he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So we see this is a supernatural gift that is different from the gift of teaching. Another way we know it's different from the gift of teaching is in the letter that James wrote, he said, let not many of you become teachers, for we shall receive stricter judgment. So, for example, if I'm teaching you something wrong this morning, I'm going to be held account for it because, you know, every single person here is taking that what I'm saying as an interpretation of God's word. And if I'm teaching something incorrect, you're learning incorrectly and then you're teaching others. So I'll be held in judgment for that. But when it comes to prophecy, 
Paul encourages us to pursue prophecy. Specifically, he says to covet earnestly or be zealous for the gift of prophecy so that you might edify the church. And when one person prophesies, we're also encouraged to judge that prophecy. In other words, to look at it in light of scripture and to have elders and and teachers in the church who can confirm that word that it really truly was from the Lord. So we're not just to receive prophecies at face value, we're to test prophecies, but to hold fast that which is true. Now, as an, another example of prophecy with regards to exposing the hidden things of the heart, um, I heard a, a Christian recently, um, a woman had come up to him at his church and asked for healing because her hands were curled up with arthritis. And as she was walking towards him, the Lord said to him, um, this woman has an issue of unforgiveness. And so he said to her, um, I don't think I can pray for your healing um, until you forgive this person in your life. And she confessed that she had held unforgiveness towards her husband. So anyway, she went away from that meeting. She forgave her husband. She came back in the evening and said, I've forgiven um, my husband. And he prayed for her in the name of the Lord Jesus. And her fingers that were curled up straightened. And she was perfectly delivered from the arthritis in her hands. And so that's an example of prophecy working in the church. God can expose the secret things of men's hearts. And he does it for our comfort in that if we're willing to yield to him, he'll heal us, he'll restore us, he'll work in our lives. So we ought to be praying for these things. We ought to be asking God for these gifts. But we also ought to recognize that not everyone's going to have all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to say this briefly. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29 says, Are all apostles... Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gift of healings? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts or the greater gifts. So in other words, although we don't have all the gifts of the Spirit, each one of us, you know, I don't have, you know, the gift of healing and tongues and prophecy. I don't have all of them all wrapped up in a bundle. But I'm to pursue these gifts um, and... We as the body, when we come together, can minister to one another as different members of the body. So isn't it wonderful that we have people in our church who can prophesy to us? Isn't it also wonderful we have people who can go through the word of God and and share the truth of God's word with us so that we can better understand the revealed word of God? And isn't it wonderful we have people who pray for the sick and see miracles happen? It's, It's great, and we all work together to build up the body. So my question for you this morning is, are you zealous for spiritual gifts? And when was the last time you asked God specifically to give you the gift of prophecy? Because that was commanded to the, to the Christians living in Corinth, to earnestly desire the gift of prophecy. If you're not doing that, you're not obeying what Paul commanded the church, to earnestly seek after the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So that can be something you pray about this week. God, use me. God, equip me. You promised me from power from on high Now give me the gifts, Lord, so that I might be a blessing to others and that I might glorify your name. As I said earlier, we need to test prophecies. The easiest way to test prophecies is from the word of God. Obviously, Psalm 119, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We know in Hebrews chapter 4, the word of God is living and powerful, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so... When someone prophesies, if they want to give a prophecy in the church, they're welcome to. But just know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, let two or three prophets prophesy. However, let the rest of the people judge. 
So if a word's spoken and it's out of place, if it's not what God has spoken, um, someone, it's, you know, one of the leader's responsibilities to get up and to, to basically bring correction. So it shouldn't be a flippant, flippant thing that anyone just wants to rush up and grab the microphone. Really seek God and know that what you have from God is truly from Him because it's our responsibility to bring correction if, if you get it wrong. And again, don't despise those who prophesy, but test all things and hold fast to that which is good. That's what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So there's um, safeguards in the local church. And this is also important because there are false prophecies everywhere. You know, in, in 1 John chapter 4 verse 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I was listening to a sermon from John Piper um, this week, and he told the story that after he preached a sermon one morning, a woman came up to him and said, I have a prophecy for you from the Lord. And so he listened, and she said, your um, child is going to die, but it's okay because God's going to provide you another one to replace them. Now, where's the safeguards? Firstly, this is one random person that he didn't know. And so... In a church like this, we have multiple people who hear the voice of God. If someone's going to say something extreme like that, there needs to be multiple witnesses. And so he, he disregarded it. He said, that's not the will of God for my child. That's a false prophecy. And he didn't receive it for himself. But I know of another story where a woman, um, now this should have been the, the immediate red flag, uh, a woman came up and she read a person's palm. And she said it, she had a word from the Lord. Now, as soon as someone tries doing something new age like that, you know it's not from the Lord. Like, you don't hear a voice from the Lord Jesus coming from a Ouija board or tarot cards, you know. So straight away, she should have yanked her hand back, but she didn't know any better. better. And she said, oh. And she said, well, what's the sigh? And she said, the baby in your womb is going to die. And she didn't think anything of it. She was just kind of shocked by it. And she didn't rebuke it. She sort of just let it sit there. And sure enough, her child was born with the umbilical cord around its neck and it didn't survive. So be very careful of false prophecies. Be very careful for people who want to give a word into your life that is against Scripture and against the safety net, which is the body of Christ. See, we're all sheep in a flock. There's safety in the flock. But if you go wander off away from the flock, that's where the wolves want you because they can get you. But in here, there's safety amongst the believers because we're all filled with the Holy Spirit. We've all made to partake of the one spirit so that we can all attest to the truth of God. Also, when it comes to prophecy, don't fall for the lie that you can go to a prophecy seminar and be taught how to prophesy. Now, again, I'm sorry if I'm going to step on some people's toes. I went to a dream seminar here on the Sunshine Coast a number of years back and was taught how to prophesy. This is how they taught us. We went into small groups, and um, we faced one another, and we closed our eyes, and we said, all right, I'm going to get a color. And so I got the color blue for someone in front of me, and I just said to them, blue. And they, you know, they were like, oh, blue, oh, okay. I'm like, well, blue, maybe that means depression. Um, and so we just took it, oh, maybe this is something with depression. And so, wow, yeah, he prophesied. That's not prophecy. That's not what the Word of God, when it talks about prophecy. Prophecy usually is something very specific, which we will see in the book of Acts in just a few moments. Uh, because blue could have equally meant the ocean. Blue could have meant tears. Blue could have meant drink some water, you're dehydrated. And blue could have also meant you had pepperoni pizza the night before and you're seeing things. So watch out for preservatives, kids. 
Likewise, we were told to close our eyes and imagine Jesus in the room. Where is he? What's he doing? One person saw him sitting in the room, smiling, I think. Another person saw him standing over there. Another person saw him over there with a beard. Well, which one is it? Which one is the Lord Jesus? Everyone was flying around in their own imaginations. And again, it's this 90-second Christianity. We want to force God's hand to do something that he's not told us to do. We need to be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way to do that is to imitate the devotional life of the apostles who imitated the devotional life of the Lord Jesus. You need to surrender your desires to him. You need to surrender your ambitions to him. You need to turn away from sin and you need to call upon the Lord. And the Lord will answer from heaven and will reveal himself to you and give you revelations that are not your own. The same is true with the gift of tongues. You know, I was part of a church that taught me to speak in tongues by saying, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And then eventually I'll get an extra syllable. So it was hallelujah, 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 shuka. I was like, ooh, shuka. So then I just went around telling people shuka, 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 shuka. And pretty soon they said, because it's a language, you need to learn more words. And everyone marveled because the senior pastor could speak this beautiful, eloquent, you know, language sounding thing. But we were all left with just shuka, shuka, shuka. But pretty soon it was shukaraka, and then it was shukaraka, shukaraka, shukaraka. And we were all pretty amazed by that. But the scripture says that when the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in other languages fluently. I mean, they were talking about the mighty deeds that God had done. This wasn't a one-syllable thing. This was God, the Holy Spirit, supernaturally giving them a gift, something they didn't earn, something they didn't need to learn, something that came as an overflow from the Spirit of God dwelling in their hearts. Okay, I hope we're friends still after all this. <laughs> if you have any questions about anything I've said or if you think I'm wrong, feel free to come talk to me afterwards. I'm actually quite a gentle person. Um, I'm not going to get mad at you or anything. We can just have a nice conversation about it. But you've got to show me from the Word of God. If, if you want to prove to me that I'm wrong, you have to show me from God's revealed Word, okay? Not by experience. Show me where God says it, and then I'll believe it. All right. I want to finish by talking about being led by the Holy Spirit. So can we go to the next slide? All right, we're going to finish up with this. Why is it that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit produces prophecy, visions, and dreams? I would suggest it's primarily for the leading of the church, and I get that straight from the book of Acts. The book of Acts is my favorite book. I've read it many, many times, and I love it. And so I went through it, and I found every place where visions appeared, every time an angel appeared, every time someone gave a prophecy. So we'll just look at a few of these things. So when it comes to prophecy, we read that there was a man named Agabus, who was actually called Agabus the prophet. So he obviously, that was what marked his ministry, was prophecies. In Acts chapter 11, verse 27, it says, In these days prophets came from Jerusalem. Now that's, that's plural. There were multiple prophets who came from Jerusalem to Antioch. And these are Christians, of course. They're followers of Jesus. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. So God revealed to Agabus a prophetic word. There's going to be a famine in the land. Um, and I don't know how he revealed it, but he told them there's going to be a famine. And the Christians that heard that prophetic word prepared... They, they got their resources together and sent it by the hands of Paul and I think Barnabas at the time, who went and gave support to the church in Jerusalem so that no one would die of starvation or suffer during this great famine. So there's a clear example of where prophecy helped the early church. It helped protect them against a famine. 
Now, another example of prophecy um, of a different kind in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 13, it says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets, again plural, and certain teachers, plural, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and to Cyprus. So we've got this issue today where Christians go out and they say, I'm going to do something for God. You know, I'm going to go preach to my neighbor or I'm going to go to a missions trip. I'm going to go to a mission field and do something for God. That's not the pattern of the New Testament. The pattern of the New Testament, as I've already said, is waiting on God and receiving a word from him. And that's what these, these teachers and prophets did. They gathered together in prayer. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit spoke to one of them or all of them and said that I want Paul and Barnabas to now go to the mission work that I've called them. And they sent them out and it says they went in the power of the Holy Spirit, having been sent out by the Spirit of God. Imagine if we took this approach to missions today. No more throwing a dart at a dartboard, hoping that God would send us to a location and bless the work, but actually waiting, God, where do you want me to put a marker down for your name? And you know, it might be as simple as God saying, I want you to continue in your secular job to, to be a witness for Christ at the cashier. I want you to be, you know, a council worker, digging holes and talking to tradies. I want you to be a dentist or whatever. It doesn't have to be spectacular. It doesn't have to be, I want you to lead a thousand person crusade or a 10,000 person crusade. God may want you to be a mother, a godly mother filled with the Holy Spirit, given the gifts of God to equip your children in the knowledge of God. Let God, who is the leader of our army, send you out into the field that he wants you to be a part of. Um, one last example of prophecy it's in Acts chapter 15. It's about Judas and Silas, who had been sent by the church in Jerusalem. Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with many words. And so these two men, having the gift of prophecy, went to a bunch of local churches and just strengthened them in the Lord, just encouraged them in the Lord, gave them a now word from God. So that's wonderful. Now my last slide and my last point. Not just the gift of prophecy, but also visions and dreams. We know the story of the Apostle Paul. You know, he was struck with blindness in Acts chapter 9, if you want to turn there. Acts chapter 9, Paul struck with blindness by God. He was formerly persecuting Christians, and God turned his life around. And when he was struck with blindness, he had to be led by the hand. After he'd received a vision of the Lord Jesus, he had to be led by the hand into the city of Damascus. And it says in Acts chapter 9, there was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. Now, Ananias was a normal Christian. He wasn't called the prophet Ananias. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't one of the seven. He was just an ordinary believer dwelling in this city called Damascus. And it says, the Lord said to Ananias in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. 
So the Lord Jesus appeared to Ananias in a vision, told him to go to a certain location in his city to find a certain man um, by name, one called Saul of Tarsus. And the reason you're to go to him is that he himself, Saul, has received a vision likewise of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so that he could receive his sight again. So isn't this cool? The Holy Spirit's revealing to this random believer, Ananias, to go find another believer that he wants to heal. Isn't that wonderful? The Holy Spirit was leading by visions in the New Testament church. Or another example, in Acts chapter 16, we might see here that this could have been actually a dream because it says a vision in the night. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Paul was ambitious to preach the gospel in various regions, and he tried to go into a couple of different locations. But it says the Holy Spirit forbid him. It says when he had gone to preach the word in Asia Minor, the Holy Spirit didn't let him go. And then when he came to Mycenae, another place, the Spirit did not permit them when they tried to go into Bithynia. Now, we don't know how the Spirit didn't permit them, but we know that they were listening for the voice of God. And God said, don't preach the gospel to these two people groups. Now, that might seem odd. I mean, we have the revealed word of God saying to preach the gospel to all the nations. But God had a specific people group that he wanted Paul to reach in that time period. And so it says, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after Paul had seen the vision... Immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Isn't that cool? He's received a dream about a man in a distant location, and he felt that after receiving that dream, that it was from the Lord that God had intended for them to preach the gospel to them in Macedonia. So why do I tell you these things? I'm concluding now. It's okay. It's, I'm not going to go any further. There's always more sermons in the future. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> God wants to speak to us. He wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to reveal his will to us. There's no better place to receive the revealed will of God for now than in the body of believers where he's working and operating. That's why we pray together. That's why we minister to one another. That's why we should have real conversations with each other. You know, rather than just asking, did you watch the footy match on the weekend? Be honest with each other. Listen, I'm struggling this week. Can you pray for me? Or I've got sickness in my body. Can we just spend some time praying? You know, ask for the believers to come into your life and to minister to you because God has equipped each one of us with spiritual gifts for the, for the benefit of all. I'm going to leave it there. Um, but as I said, if you have any questions or if you want prayer for anything or if you don't know the Lord Jesus, if you're not sure that your sins have been forgiven, I'd invite you to come to the front after we, we close this morning. Um, I can chat to you, but there's other leaders here too. If you're standing at the front, a leader will see you and they'll come chat with you, and we can have a conversation about how you can know the Lord Jesus and how you can know that you have eternal life. The Scripture says whoever believes on Him will receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to finish in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you're a good God. We thank you that you are a supernatural God, a mighty God. I think of uh, these apostles when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that they were telling the people the mighty works of God. Isn't that wonderful? Like, God, you are so mighty. You are so wonderful. And we just ask that you would come and minister to us now. Minister to us um, through those with the gift of prophecy. Lord, give us dreams. Give us visions. We want to receive from you. We want to be led by you. We want to obey the Holy Spirit.
Lord, we yield ourselves to you now. We acknowledge that you are our Lord. Jesus, you are the head of your church. Lord, when you went to heaven, you sent the Holy Spirit who would lead your people. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the supernatural gifts too. We want to obey Paul, Lord. So we pray now. We ask that you would give us the gift of prophecy so that we might edify one another and we might speak comfort to men. Lord, give us a revelation, a fresh revelation, a word in season, something that might bless someone else. We thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.